Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And with me, as always, are my two co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I am Anya Crittenton, a writer at Gay Star News. So this week, we are doing another deep dive into Hollywood, one of Hollywood's great directors. Inspired by the recent Star Wars movie, Solo, which we reviewed recently, and you can go listen to now before listening to this. We are going to be talking today about Ron Howard. Who good old is Ronnie Howard. Good old Ron Howard. I think just one of the most reliable, and he's just kind of been around. Like, we all know Ron Howard. We all love Ron Howard. Yeah. For you, you know? boomers out there... Richie Cunningham or Steve Bolander from American Graffiti or Opie from Andy Griffith. I always think of Opie. Like, honestly, when I think of his acting, I always go to Opie. Really? Because I go to American Graffiti and Happy Days first. Well, you would go to American Graffiti. Of course I would, because he's amazing in that. He's a proto Luke Skywalker. I actually so. go immediately to Arrest Development. So, <laughs> <laughs> what footage well, not found. <laughs> I, I, there, there's a way to psychoanalyze this and what this says about all of us, but um, let's not go there <laughs> right now. Choose um, your Ron Howard. Choose your fighter. <laughs> no, I'm not sure Opie would last very well. Granted, HT doesn't even have a body, so. <laughs> Mine's yeah, a disembodied voice. <laughs> yeah, which could either give you an advantage or disadvantage. I don't know. Anyway, already getting off track. It's just like the old days. Um... I say that as if we haven't done this in years. It's felt like it. Back it in my day. Like it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been anyway, a while. So we're going to be talking about Ron Howard, his, mostly we're going to be about Ron Howard, the director, not the actor, and taking a look at his movies over the years, his reputation, how his career has gone. Um, so we're going to start off with a quick roundtable of all of our number one favorite Ron Howard directed movies. So, Willoughby, bring it on. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13 is my favorite Ron Howard film. I love space dramas, um, and Ron Howard is a great director. So, like, the combination of the two, every time I watch Apollo 13, it's always like, are they going to make it? (laughs) But I know that they will, because... uh, or you know he's he's so good at at directing the the uh, directing actors and like showing these problem solvers and how to fix their problems and i think that he's also a really great director of tension and apollo 13 is like all tension like once they're up in space it's all tension um and and you don't get that release until the moment they like pop up out of water at the end of the movie um, and I think that it just it showcases all of his, uh, I think his fascinations and his uh, skills uh, with like uh, human drama as well as a mix of the of the of the higher concepts of like space and stuff, and then also Tom Hanks. Also Tom Hanks. Also Tom Hanks. It, that's a very good like and little Ed actress Harris. for like any Ron Howard movie. You should be like. Also, Tom Hanks. Yeah, I because I I've done my like rewatch of Ron Howard movies over the past couple month uh, month or so because we've been we've been planning to do this episode for a while, um, and so like I noticed a trend among among his movies. Um, it's Tom Hanks, and uh, being put into precarious situations like uh, Mermaid Love, uh, Finding the Holy Grail, or uh, being lost in space. I think it's actually a really poignant uh metaphor for howard's directing style which we were talking a little bit before the podcast started recording about how he's kind of this everyman and his movies focus so wholly on like the everyman put in extraordinary situations and that's kind of the reason that he also often casts tom hanks because who tom is also hanks like the is... ultimate everyman actor exactly right which is funny because when he casts people like Russell Crowe or uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth, who are very much not everyman, mm-hmm. um, but they but they do play extraordinary characters in those movies. But I feel like t- for Tom Hanks in, in particular, he always plays like the down to earth, pardon the pun guy. Yeah, 
I think, yeah, I think Ron Howard is definitely fascinated with this humanity and the extraordinary feats of humanity, which we'll dive into later. Um, HT, does your favorite Ron Howard movie have to do with the extraordinariness of humans? It does. My favorite is A Beautiful Mind. So I will admit that I'm not a huge Ron Howard fan just because I never found anything that really stood out to me in his filmography. I really respect his works, and I think respect is the best word that can come for like how I feel about A Beautiful Mind. It's a movie that I really enjoy and that the performances uh, really stand out in, especially Russell Crowe. It kind of was the beginning of a long crush for me on Russell Crowe. <laughs> so I've watched a lot of his filmography because of that film. But A Beautiful Mind is interesting because I am very against sort of the cookie-cutter prestige drama that is very obviously an Oscar-bait movie. And while this film could easily fall in that category, it actually is more, I guess, um, crowd-friendly than just, like, what you think an Oscar-bait movie will be. It's more... It definitely, like... um, It entrances you. It, like... uh, it reels you in. And I think it's the strength performances, it's the ease of Ron Howard's direction, and it's a way that, like, it kind of reminds me of Spielberg in a way that it really helps you empathize with the characters and kind of uh, keep you in their perspective, uh, which is very important in the, in the way of uh, A Beautiful Mind because you're so deeply in... Uh, what was his name? Nash's perspective uh, that you that like the twist that happens at the end is actually quite surprising. So it's it is a really it's a good film that has a lot of layers. I think even though it does whitewash his his wife played by Jennifer um, Connolly Connolly. I was gonna say O'Connell, but that doesn't make sense. But yeah, she's a <laughs> Hispanic. She's from South America, I think, and uh, they cast the white woman for it. So it's kind of like, oh uh, no, <laughs> Ron Howard, no. Mm-hmm. So, but I watched that movie. The reason the... we don't, huh? Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I watched the first the movie for the first time today for the podcast, um, and I didn't know a lot about the movie to be honest. Like I knew that it was it stars Russell Crowe as like a brilliant mind who's like you know it's like I knew it was like a, his Oscar movie, and I so like I had like my ideas about it, and then I and then there were like the twists and mm-hmm. like his psychological issues and i was like oh i was not expecting this and then when it turns out who like paul bettany and ed harris really were i was like oh oh this movie is taking some turns but then it also checks off a lot of boxes that we've seen in um later movies later oscar movies like i can see the theory of everything and the imitation game like being like the grandsons of this movie oh definitely like like they very much take inspiration from this movie and like oscar movies in general but i feel like there's a like there's like the struggling wife who's trying to keep her husband from like you know or like you know she has like a difficult husband difficult situation the struggling wife Mm -hmm. the the uh the children have no character development whatsoever um there and it children? takes place in, in, in mid-century america or mid-century uh the world mm-hmm. uh usually surrounding uh world war ii and afterwards hey did you guys know that russell crowe is supposed to be playing 19 at the very beginning of that movie i mean like that's when he first uh starts college so it's pretty funny yeah. when he's like i'm a 30 year old man playing a 19 year old he's i checked the age uh, he's 35 at the t- at the filming of this movie, and he's supposed to be playing 16 years his younger. And well, Leonardo DiCaprio did it well, but he's also yeah, Leonardo Russell DiCaprio. Crow, Russell Crowe does not have a young face. Yeah, even what even in 2001, he did not have a young face, especially a year after Gladiator, <laughs> where he plays like a wizened sort of battle warrior, embattled warrior. Yeah, right, like I'm pretty sure he already had gray hair in Gladiators. So like, <laughs> probably. It's wild. I think um, Russell Crowe has looked like a man since, like, his birth. Yeah. Yeah, but, he, like, came out of the womb as, like, but, a man with a beard, and he was like, hello. But Paul <laughs> Bettany looked real young. Mm. Um, Paul Bettany's really good in the movie, too. Yeah, Another yeah. reason that I really love that movie. <laughs> He's very much playing, like, his, uh, his, uh, um, oh, what's his, what's his, uh, Chaucer from, uh... A, a Night's Tale. Uh, a Night's Tale. Tale. It actually like, came the, out before A Night's Tale. Oh, 
interesting because like that very first scene he's in i was like oh this is paul bettany doing his like chaucer impression still um but i think he's he's very good in it too and ed harris and uh jennifer Con- i think jennifer Connolly is great in it uh despite the fact that she's been whitewashed mm-hmm. yeah that's my favorite ron howard movie and it kind of gets to what i like and dislike about ron howard as a director i think interesting oh so anya what is your favorite ron howard movie um, so I will go on record saying I'm a Ron Howard fan. I think he has had some definite misses in his career. Um, but ultimately, I just think I just like Ron. He's he's like the Tom Hanks of directors. I'm just like, man, you're just you're so adorable and reliable. Like, we'll keep you. Um, <laughs> Willoughby correctly guessed my favorite Ron Howard movie before the episode started. It is also one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and that would be Frost Nixon, which came yeah. out in 2008. It is based on a play. I have seen said play. And it is about the interviews between David Frost and Richard Nixon after Watergate. Um, and my love for this movie is twofold. I am A, obsessed with the 60s and 70s and particularly the politics then and particularly the Kennedys. And so therefore Richard Nixon is my enemy. Um, he has been my enemy since I was a child was never alive when he was president but i hate him <laughs> it, it is a very strong thing within me my dad taught me to love the kennedys and hate richard nixon from a young young age and it stuck hard um so there's that part of it where i'm just deeply fascinated with this time period in general um and always want to see richard nixon go down and also i think it is a near perfect movie um it received some Oscar nominations. The biggest one, I don't think he won, but like the biggest one was for Frank Langella's performance as Nixon, which was phenomenal. Um, but Michael Sheen as David Frost is also very good. It's perhaps one of the tensest movies I've ever watched. I can watch it over and over again. I've seen the actual tapes. I've seen the movies. Tapes. Wow. You're a hardcore fan. I, I am. I am. Let me show you how many Bobby Kennedy biographies I have on my bookshelf because I love Bobby Kennedy so much. Um, now, Anya, I have a question. Yes. When you saw the play, did you actually see Michael Sheen and Frank Langella? Because they God, originated I the wish. performances. No, no. I saw it. It was on tour um, here in L.A. And my parents got me front row tickets for my birthday. Ooh. Um, and was it, it was, was St- it... Stacey Keach was playing Nixon. Um, Don't know who that is. He's... My parents were like, oh, my God, Stacey Keach. And I was like, I have no idea who that is. But was, they were was this, excited. Was this, was this after the movie came out? It was after the movie, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, my favorite character in the movie is Jim Reston. He's, like, a real-life person. Played by Sam Rockwell because he's, like, me. Because he, like, hates Nixon so much. Um, and I love him so much in this movie. And I also just love Sam Rockwell. And I talked with the guy who played him in the play after the show, and I was just like, ah, Jim Reston, tell me all about him. Um, <laughs> I have Jim Reston's books on Nixon. Of course you do. Oh I'm, seriously, guys, like, I don't know if you've ever known my love affair with, like, the Kennedys in this time period, but now you do. I kind of um, like, Well, I, I knew you loved Bobby Kennedy, I and Bobby I knew Kennedy. you loved, uh, you loved to hate Richard Nixon. Yeah, I had but an I, inkling, I knew, but I didn't I, know the extent of it. I also knew you liked Michael Sheen, and I also knew you liked Frost Nixon, but that was like t- tip of the iceberg, oh, like right, right on the surface of the water, but not underneath it. It goes deep, friend. <laughs> um, but even without all those, I still think Frost Nixon is also just a phenomenal film. It is like I was saying, it's so tense. I can watch it over and over again and I still get stressed during the interviews, especially the beginning ones when Frost keeps like messing it up. Well, like, he's like smiling because he knows. Like, even though you know what's going to happen. Like, that's what I think I love most about Ron Howard's movies are that, like, he does a lot of historical stuff, but you can, but he makes it feel so in the moment and real that you don't know what's going to happen. Even though in the back of your head, you do. Like, yeah, I would really like to see what Ron Howard would have done with Lincoln. Um, because I think Spielberg is a master, but I feel like Ron Howard ha- has like a different touch of tension like i feel like he i would almost have been... feel like ron howard is because he's sort of like the lesser spielberg well what is how people think about him but he's less grandiose than spielberg what i like to think of ron howard is the nephew of his uncles george lucas and steven spielberg 
Yes. Because they're they're he's just a little bit younger than both of them that he is not like part of that generation of filmmakers. He's like the generation right after. Like they like his, he got his start in the 80s where they got hit there like doing film while he got, they got his their starts in the 70s. And I feel like he he obviously worked with Lucas a lot on American Graffiti. Um but I feel like you know he's kind of He's kind of like the nephew of like the Lucasfilm Raiders production company with Kathy Kennedy and Frank Marshall and like all those guys. Like, cause he he did Willow um, with Lucasfilm. I really want which, to talk about Willow because Willow is such an adorable movie. I love that movie. I've never seen it. I've never seen um, it either. Oh my god, you guys need to see Willow. Do you guys know what Willow's about? I know I that Val Kilmer and Warwick Davis are in it. Yeah. And I also yeah. thought it was an Ewoks movie for a while, but I know it's not. It takes it. It's like a fantasy movie, and like it's about a dwarf who has to protect this baby from an evil queen, and it's so delightful and lovely. And wait, is Val so... Kilmer the baby? Uh, no, Val Kilmer is a guy that uh, Willow teams up with somewhat reluctantly. Oh, like a Han Solo? Um, no, he's like a he's like a hero. Sort of, yeah. Um, but it's just yeah. so fun. You guys should really... I, I think you guys would like it. Like, you, especially HD, I feel like would get a kick out of it. Yeah, it actually sounds kind of like my type of movie. It, it <laughs> is your type of movie. <laughs> but, I feel, but like, going back to Ron Howard and Spielberg, I feel like they have very similar... Like, in terms of, like, directing tension, I f- they're, they're both really good human directors. Um, and I feel like Spielberg is more so a greater director uh, but Ron Howard is also doing something different where he kind of doesn't care about action unless he has to do action like I feel like his Da Vinci Code movies are the his action franchise like Solo notwithstanding um, and like I've seen the first two Da Vinci Code movies I keep saying Da Vinci Code movies I mean the, the Dan Brown, Michael Langdon Robert Langdon. Robert Langdon. Robert Langdon. Excuse me. Um, I'm a guilty pleasure Dan Brown stan. Are you? I did not know that either. I'm certainly so much about Elon. I've read every single Dan Brown book. Did you read read the one that's in Washington, D.C.? Yes, that one's not very good. Yeah, I started reading that one. Um, But yes. Robert Langdon was really good. Sorry, I'm just a dan. His, these movies are crap, but the books are fun. <laughs> right, and I feel like I, I like the Da Vinci Code for what the movie for what it was worth, but I thought Angels and the Demons could have not have needed to be made. Uh, uh, Angels and Demons is the best Robert Langdon book. Excuse you. Well, yeah, no, I think it's really interesting, but I think that it just it was very forgettable. I remember yeah. watching it. I not don't as remember forgettable as Inferno. I forgot that movie came out like that, last oh yeah year. I forgot oh yeah that came out and it was with it was with um, of, it was Felicia uh, Felicity Jones who yep. looked uh-huh. very much like Zoe Deschanel in all the marketing and I, so I was very confused when I was like where's Zoe Deschanel but she also looks like the original actress from the first movie and so I got confused I was like is she back and is playing a different actress but no she's a was, different brunette character it was Audrey Tatu in the first one right yes okay yeah I mean just like the generic brunettes even though they're all great actresses it's just like same face type same hair color tom hanks with straightened hair oh god why did they do that to his head i'm sorry it's like the one reason i can't bring myself to like see the da vinci code movies as more than an anomaly don't it's awful (laughs) don't read the books they're fun and better why is this like that though is that how it is in the books i just want to know no just action Tom Hanks. That's how they decide no. to differentiate him. <laughs> He's got little yeah, heads. That you I have can no flip, idea. Like, it makes no figure. sense. You can go from uh, sitcom Tom Hanks to Forrest Gump Tom Hanks to action Tom Hanks to Captain Phillips Tom Hanks. He's got so many faces. It's like the little so many hair, hair, the beards and wigs. That would actually add. be a really great action figure. Yeah. That would be amazing. We should copyright that. Yes, right now. Millennial no one steal our idea. Action Hanks. <laughs> but Willoughby, I think what you're talking about gets to like the heart of like why I like Ron Howard so much and why when he misses, it's pretty clear why he misses. Like 
so for me, The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, the whole Robert Langdon franchise, like, they felt like they were just being made because the books were becoming so big. Mm-hmm. And less that, like, Ron Howard and Tom Hanks had a passion for the stories and the characters. Like, for me, Ron Howard movies are at their best when, like, it's very obvious that, like, he has a passion to tell this story. And yeah. he's very excited about telling the story. And, you know, like, that's why I think, like, movies like Frost Nixon or Beautiful Mind, like, it's clear that he thought he read the stories, knew about them, and was so, like, enraptured by them that he wanted to bring them to the big screen. Whereas those movies feel very much just kind of like, let's make a commercial movie and make some bucks. I think the, at least the first one was definitely like, uh, on the wave of the hype for the book, because I remember the book being like, like, like a Harry Potter novel. Like it was on every book stand, bookstore. Every dad was reading it. Every dad was reading it. My dad read it. I read it. Like it was in every Borders and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and three, two or three of those don't exist anymore. And, uh, you know, you could like get the, the, it was one of the first, I think, ebooks and like, you know, it was a huge deal. Like History Channel and Discovery Channel were doing like the real mythology behind the Da Vinci Code. Like it's, it really spurned like a lot of these like, did Jesus have a secret child with Mary Magdalene? Which, how would we know? So, honestly, my favorite thing about all of that was just how enraged lots of Christians got. Because I was just like, we don't know, people. But I, my favorite parts of that were like okay. all the symbology and stuff like that. Um, it's fine. You know, we're getting on a Robert Langdon tangent. I am okay with this Robert this Langdon fine. episode hijack. Why don't we focus on uh, a particular topic that we've talked about in the past, but I want to talk about it from a different angle, which is the auteurness of Hollywood. Uh, Ron Howard is, an, is not an auteur, and I feel like we can definitively say that. Um, he, Even though he is a director, he is very much what we like to call in the business of podcasting, a journeyman director. Um, and he, you know, he's kind of like a di- director for hire like particularly in specifically with solo a star wars story he was hired because he's reliable safe he doesn't have his own vision or he you know he doesn't have like a, a super particular style um but he gets the job done and he knows how to direct movies he knows how to direct action you know that may not be his strong suit but i felt like the action in solo was pretty good um but he knows how to direct human characters and the the best part about Star Wars is not just the laser bolts and the lightsabers and the and, and the spaceships, but also the human characters. Um, and journeyman director is a term that actually comes from TV, because director is not as important a role as the writer, for example, in television. And so you you see more often journeyman directors in television because they'll be directors who just jump from TV show to TV show, directing episodes that are like in the house style of the show, but not really putting their own spin on it. Um, But they're always really reliable. And that's why it's so important to keep that sort of cog running in TV, which works so quickly. And Ron Howard has that same sort of um, sort of a brand, I guess, in Hollywood, because he is able to take any genre or type of film and do it well if not with a particular style like we've seen him go from fantasy with willow to a prestige drama like a beautiful mind or frost nixon to rom-com with splash rom-coms with splash Uh, science fiction with cocoon yep a space uh opera with uh solo and uh, apollo 13 um and one really interesting one that I thought was sort of an anomaly in his um, uh, catalog is Rush, which is something I watched and was not really, I was vaguely aware that Ron Howard had directed it. And it surprised me because of how stylized it is. It's very sort of saturated and fast-paced and weird and kind of very sexual, too. You don't see a lot of that in Ron Howard movies either. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to see that movie because I've actually heard really good things about it. I remember when it came out and people were kind of like, eh. And then, like, the reviews were like, hold on. 
this movie's actually good. Yeah, Rush is is really good. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is great in it as like the hot headed race car driver who doesn't really have a, uh, doesn't really think things through. And his polar opposite, uh, played by Daniel Bruhl, is the the one who's very calculating. But all, they're both like really a professional and really um, talented race car drivers who often go head to head against each other. And uh, Daniel Bruhl's character at uh, gets into a, a horrific accident that like mutates his, his like burns like half of his face and he ends up like holding a grudge against Chris Hemsworth's character and it's a really interesting character drama and um the way that he films the race scenes are very tense and very suspenseful and um actually I might like talking about it now I might change my favorite Ron Howard movie to Rush just Ooh, because it's so hey. different and so good and uh, Daniel Bruhl's amazing in it. He's just so good, even though he's unlikable and kind of. They give him like these, this, um, these tooth. Uh, what are the? What's the word for it? Um, not implants, but you know, to dentures. Make it look like he doesn't dentures. Like, like it doesn't look like he have teeth. Yeah, no, they give him like dentures to, to give him like buck teeth, essentially. Oh, interesting. And so he looks kind of a lot uglier than he is. So he has like this really ugly um, facade and, like brusque persona but he's you still end up sympathizing with him uh throughout the film and uh it's it's really good i i recommend it and it's, it's definitely like it's something that came out more recently i think it was like 2013 yeah um, it wasn't too mm-hmm. long ago yeah and so because it was his movie i think it was the movie right before he did a heart in the heart of the ocean yeah and i when i watched also it with i was chris like Hemsworth. yeah with chris hemsworth hemsworth is his new buddy his new muse yeah, when I watched it, I was I was wondering like if this was signaling a change in like Ron Howard from journeyman director to auteur, but it seemed like he was just like trying on sort of just, a style for a one movie, and that's kind of interesting too that he can just kind of shed those personas every now and then. And I think that goes to his credit because he can just do the work, but also if and when he wants to he can kind of put some flair into it which i think solo had i feel like solo had some good flair to it i don't know if it was if it was just the the dialogue but like it it was very snappy and very quick paced um but you know we've also seen him like in frost nixon he could do a really tense like not super slow paced but just like um like the the scenes between frost and nixon are like just two characters in a room together, but it's some of the most intense cinema of the past 15 yes. years. Yes. Like I remember that the Frost Nixon was my first rated R film that I ever saw in theaters. I saw it with my mom. I was like, must've been like 16. When did it? 2008. Yeah. I would have been 16. Um, and so like, I wasn't old enough to go by myself. And so like my mom, she likes to watch the Oscar movies when, they, when they come out in theaters. And so like the two of us went to go to the theater and I saw, I was just like, oh my god, this is so intense, like, I don't, you know, this, like, just this interview between, like, wasn't David Frost supposed to be, like, a comedy talk show host? Like, he was, he was known to be, yeah, like, funny, he was, right? Yeah, like, an entertainer guy, so, like, everyone, when they heard he was the one interviewing Nixon, they kind of laughed at him and didn't give him any funding for the project, and... So it was, like, a John Stewart sort of deal before John Stewart, and, like, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, this happened. I didn't know this happened at all. I thought when Nixon resigned in disgrace like that was it like i didn't you know he just kind of vanished into the into the the ether um so i had no idea that this story this interview even happened so i was very fascinated by the whole thing i thought the the gripping drama of this of these interviews were was so intense and you know looking back on it like ron howard like I don't give him, I don't think I I take him for granted. I don't give him enough credit where credit is due. He's a great director. I think that's a really big thing about Ron Howard is that I feel like he's often um under he's undervalued. Undervalued, I think is more what that's I want to say. Term. Like yeah, because I feel like we kind of do take him for granted just because he's always been there and we have some movies that we like by him like Splash or Apollo 13 or Beautiful Mind and we kind of forget that he is doing the same craft that all these other like auteurs are doing and he's working just as hard and just because he doesn't have that like flair or like what if, have you like if you took a, a look at his filmography and then compared it to like whatever Nolan does or whatever like another auteur that I can't think of right now but like if you you know you can't really say oh that's a Ron Howard j- picture 
you can you can look at any Christopher Nolan film and be like, oh, that's a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, or like, oh, that's a Damien Chazelle movie. Or, oh, oh, that's like, you know, so-and-so's movie. But Ron Howard, because I think he's just so... I think the thing is, he's versatile. He can do different genres. He can do different stories. And he can do them in a way that is not as flashy as the other guys. And I don't think that that is um against him at all i think if anything it's very for him because he can come in at the end of a shoot for a major motion picture like solo and fix the problems and like yeah and do it under budget and under the you know like he basically shot like seven like 90 percent of the movie again after they were three weeks away from principal photography and they didn't have to move the the date the the, the date back like he did it like he did it mm-hmm. and i feel like that's a, that's a major i don't think we give ron howard enough credit for him being just like a very excellent f- filmmaker in today's like auteur theory filled uh hollywood studio system like he can just yeah. do what he wants to do i think it also like not just and there's nothing against doing like the flashy directors and the auteurs like oh no i fill, love christopher nolan movies. yeah yeah they also fill their own valid spaces but i think this reminds me of why I was so happy when Spotlight won Best Picture against The Revenant, because I feel like that win, besides the fact that Spotlight was the best film of that year, undoubtedly, that win was really, for me, important because like it showed that just because Spotlight wasn't flashy and it was just like this really quiet, kind of slow-moving drama and didn't you know, it wasn't bombastic or anything. It was still a perfectly made film. Just because, you know, their cinematographer didn't use all natural lighting doesn't mean the cinematography wasn't great. And I think it reminds me of Ron Howard and that, like, there are spaces for these flashy directors, but to not forget owning your craft so well and just being able to make a movie is a pretty great thing in and of itself. Yeah, you know what's really interesting to me um, is uh, you were saying earlier, Willoughby, how Ron Howard is of a different generation than George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Um, And I was thinking how he would have fit in really well in the classic Hollywood studio system. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like Spielberg and Lucas are part of that, you know, new age of directors who were uh, looking to disrupt Hollywood. And right, they're new Hollywood. They, they were new if Hollywood. You will. Exactly. And um, Howard was almost like more old fashioned in a sense. And it's interesting because, like, you know, there were great movies being made in the classic Hollywood system, even though they were made by mostly journeyman directors or made in very much in like the same style, in a very like um, point A to point B to point C storytelling method. And there were still great films even then. And uh, there's no discounting that technical mastery, as Anya was saying. And so it's interesting because, like, because Haran Howard lives in this age of auteurs and, and, like, in the shadow of Spielberg and Lucas, it's harder for him just because he is kind of old, an old-fashioned guy. Which makes sense yeah, because he's sort of like... he played... Richie Cunningham, which takes place in the 50s. <laughs> True. He's, he's sort of like our modern-day Frank Capra. Right. I and, sort of think. Yeah. And Capra is someone that we view as an auteur, but there wasn't really anything inherently flashy about his films. He just made We're, good films. And, yeah, and, like, when I... Exactly. And when I think of Frank Capra, like, I do think of those, like, everyman, sort of, like, the success of humanity and, like, the inherent goodness in humanity and stories like that and i think that's what howard has really brought with his filmmaking and kind of into the 21st century is that like something like apollo 13 which i agree with willoughby is one of his best films it is just about these very normal human beings who do something extraordinary i mean i guess astronauts are kind of extraordinary in and of themselves but they are so but, like but they're not super they're not super powered yeah. they're not super intellectualized like yeah they're just dudes who are up in space and they have to solve a problem exactly exactly and let's not forget 
auteur was a term that was invented uh, for the works of Alfred Hitchcock by uh, Truffaut and the rest of the um, Cahiers du Cinéma uh, directors. Yeah, those those French those French directors who basically post World War II were getting an influx of American cinema, and so were able to just like basically binge all these movies together and were able to notice like trends and different styles and there like was the noir were, trend yeah the noir for example and there wasn't any word for it before you know that came about and that sort of literary writing came about i, <laughs> I, I always love the cyclical snake eating its tail filmmaking history of the second half of the 20th century because you've got after World War Two, you get all these movies coming into Europe, and these these and these these very studio movies, and they're very you know cookie cutter and like by the book, and they've got they've got some panache to them, like the noir movies and the melodramas, and then you've got the French new wave that takes influence from those movies and breaks down Hollywood like uh, rules and traditions in movie making. And then you get directors like uh, Scorsese and uh, like uh, Spielberg and Lucas and like all these guys who who see these movies in art houses and then say, oh, I'm going to do my own thing like these guys are doing it. But they're working within the cinema of Hollywood. They're working within Hollywood to change cinema because the French New Wave and the Italian Neorealists did their own thing. And then in the 80s, you go back to like blockbuster making because they're people who like Jaws and Star Wars and they want to make more of those. And so you've got this weird thing. And now we're back into like auteur theory because you've got like a lot of directors who now can write their own movies, who can direct their own movies because making movies is a lot simpler and a lot easier now because cameras are smaller and like computers are doing their, a lot of work. And so you got these people who are doing their own thing. And now we're kind of back into this like breaking the mold sort of deal. And you get these like one take movies, you get these different like uh, stories that we haven't seen before. And then, then you've got good old Ron Howard, who's just like chugging along doing his thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, agree and i think it also like i kind of want to touch on his recent foray into documentaries um i say recent but his first one was in 2013 which was made in america and then in 2016 he did the beatles uh documentary called the beatles eight days a week the touring years uh which is a really excellent documentary and i remember it got like a hundred percent rotten tomatoes or like somewhere in the upper 90s it was was a hulu original yeah, and it is a really phenomenal documentary. Um, and I think, again, like, it makes so much sense that he's turning to documentaries. He has another one coming out um, that's been announced uh, that's going like, to be coming up. And I think it's just, like, with his apparent love of humanity and these stories, it just makes so much sense for him to become a documentary filmmaker as well as a Is that the like, untitled Luciano Pavarotti documentary? Uh, yes, yes, that's the one that was announced. Um, so I think it just makes a lot of sense in it. I think it's a testament to his movies and why he's so good at, like, very human characters and things like that. And it really makes sense to me. I think that's a good way to end our discussion on Ron Howard. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts? No, right. just, he's good. It's a good dude. Dude, and he has a great daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, who's also underrated. Yeah, he does. Oh, she's an she's an excellent actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should just do a little bit about her. She's amazing. She is. The end. She, she deserves, deserves more than Jurassic World. World. <laughs> yes, she's she's very good in that one Black Mirror episode directed by Joe Wright. Yes, she's also very good in Pete's Dragon. I, I still need it. to watch that. So good. So let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Anya, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? So, like so many other people, I have been saved. By Jesus? By the gays. Pride Month. Hey, Jesus honestly would have been cool with that. Oh, yeah. No, Jesus would have been all about Pride Month. Like, Jesus would have been our bro. Um, like so many other people, 
Netflix's uh, reiteration of Queer Eye is perfect, amazing. I cry every episode in like the most happy, heartwarming tears. This show makes me want to be a better version of myself. It, it's like it's so pure, you guys. Um, I don't know if you're watching it, but you need to because your life will become instantly one million thousand hundred percent better. And what's so great about it is that so it's a reiteration of the old what nineties early two thousand show Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which is fun, where like a group of a fun fact. Yes, fun fact. Ted from Chopped is uh is from the original Queer Eye. Yeah. And that show, you know, it was like, it was very, it's very dated now. And it was basically like a group of gay men coming in to help a straight man. You know, it was all very kind of stereotypical. Go from wearing like cargo khaki shorts to like real pants. Yeah, yeah. Says a man um, who's wearing show... cargo pants right now. You're very yeah, fashionable, exactly. Willoughby. I'm okay. Yeah, you're... we'll keep you. I got button downs. I'm good. <laughs> Um, but this one is just called Queer Eye because they are broadening the spectrum of kind of the people that they can go in and connect with and help to more than just straight men. Um, the first season was all men, but some of them were gay. And now in the second season, we had a woman as the first episode. And there's also a trans person in the second season. And it really is just it's not about going in and being like, wow, you are a sucky human being. We're going to make you better. It's basically them going in and be like, you are wonderful just the way you are. We're going to help you just make you a better version of yourself. And all the Queer Eye guys are just so pure and lovely and wonderful. And I guarantee if you watch the show, you will laugh and cry and feel so much better about you and life. And I'm just so happy. It just, the first episode of season two hit really close to home for me. And I was a mess, but I also felt so full of love. And I've been looking for that. So just you guys need to watch Queer Eye. Please watch Queer Eye for me. I'll watch Queer Eye when you watch Terrace House. Hey, okay. there it is. Nice. Okay, I will. it's on my list, so I will let you know. All right, so it's Queer Eye on we'll my ever-growing like, list. We'll have to do like a book report where we like come back and be like, so I watched all of Terrace House and I watched all of Queer Eye. And this is what I have learned. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> Welcome to my career. I'd be down with that. <laughs> all right, Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? So I've hit my anime phase at age 25. Um, thanks, thanks in part to my wonderful girlfriend, Melissa, who has been showing me like a bunch of anime since we've moved in together and have been dating for almost two years. So like over the past couple of years, I've, I've watched Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Um, we just finished uh, Steins Gate. Um, which is this very cerebral time time machine anime, which is now in its it's actually come back for a second season. And so like we're watching new anime together instead of like binge watching old anime. It's very weird, very cool. Um, but currently I'm on where we're, we just finished the first season of a very popular in the now anime called My Hero Academia. Um, I've actually heard of that one. Yeah, have you have any either of you guys watched any of it? My anime no. knowledge goes up to 2011. <laughs> Okay, and so this, stops this right came, there. This came out in like 2014, 2015, um, be, and it has to be that because the second season premiered at the same time that my girlfriend was cosplaying one of the characters at AwesomeCon last year. So it's currently in its third season. We just finished the first one on Crunchyroll. And what it is, a short premise, is every, 80% of the world has superpowers, like the X-Men and like Inhumans, and they have certain powers they call them quirks and the, but the main character doesn't have a superpower he's quirkless but there's a superhero academy that you can get into if you like pass the test you know if you perform well on like the written exam and, and also in like the superhero saving like simulation um and uh the the main character uh like gets into the the academy by one way or another i won't spoil how but he gets in 
and he meets this cast of characters and they all have their own like quirks and their own personalities and like his his like main rival is like a childhood friend and he's like very hot-headed and you're like oh is he gonna become a villain who knows but the best part about the show is that it's so pure and wholesome it's very very pure and wholesome like you love the main character you love his friends they're so good to each other and like it's a really good feel-good show and it makes me like it's like it takes all the superhero bullshit of the Zack Snyder movies and kicks it to the curb because it's all about like Anya. I think you in particular like, would love this show because it's about like the good in humanity and the good in superheroes. Um, and it's also got great action and like fun Western references like Ooh. the there's like character like the different like sub su- villages in the towns are named after Star Wars planets, but they're like misspelled slightly only enough that like if you really were paying attention, you'd get it. Um, but it's really fun. It's really great and like funny and just like very pure and wholesome and i think you guys would very much enjoy it uh it's also streaming on hulu so if you guys don't have a crunchyroll account you can watch it on hulu it's got subs and dubs i think nice. wait it might just have now subs. i just want to like wreck all these animes to, all these like animes to you because like like hd i haven't watched anime in a long time like i watched yuri on ice which your girlfriend has questionable opinions on willoughby um <laughs> because yuri on ice is perfect um but like just here and there, I'll, like, watch something if it's recommended to me, but I used to devour, like, everything I could get my hands on when I was, like, deep into anime. HT is mm-hmm. nodding her head because she knows. And now I just want to, like, recommend all these things to you. I really want you to watch Fruits Basket because that's one of my favorites. I have, okay, I I own the entire Fruits Basket manga, manga? collection. Me too! Yes! Oh my gosh, did you oh, cry at the end? It's so good. It's there's so an good. Entire, so dark. There's an entire bookshelf in our bookshelf dedicated to just the entire uh, Full Metal Alchemist uh, manga. Willoughby, I'm also going to order you to watch Full Metal Alchemist, the original anime, because... Alright, I'm the only... I'm one of the few people, I think Anya's on my side, one of the few people who like the original anime over Brotherhood, because while Brotherhood is really tightly plotted and is a really great... has really great characters and a really good narrative, Full Metal Alchemist just, like, goes in this weird sort of metaphysical area that's very just like appeals to me i can i know why exactly why i like it so much it just has like these much more political tensions and sort of racial implications and sort of meditation on humanity and alternate universes and it's extremely my shit and it's also much much sadder because it just like meta it like sort of stays lingers on a lot of the sad moments and so if you want to feel worse full metal alchemist is your way to go yeah, I, I I agree with HT on that one. I think the original is better than Brotherhood. Yes. Um, we're just going to, like, after this is over, we're just going to send you, apparently. like, a list. We're going to send you a list of anime oh, to watch. Will trust we? me, I, ha- I, like, have a list going. Like, will we're be... going to watch Cowboy Bebop after this, oh, I think. That's a good so. one. We've got all the- Ooh, Also, Samurai Shampoo. Gun. Okay, can you guys say that at separate times? <laughs> Samurai Shampoo. Trigun. <laughs> Also, Card Captor Sakura because that's like my go-to floofy uh, anime. I've rewatched it twice. Whenever I feel bad, I just rewatch Card Captor Sakura, and it gives me all these heart-fluttering moments. I think you'll love it, Willoughby. It's just it's so cute. I feel that way about Pre-Tier. I actually haven't seen that. Oh, Pre-Tier is so cute. Um, but yeah, and also Rurouni Kenshin. Rurouni Kenshin is so good. Actually, I like the manga oh, better than the I remember, anime. I like. Agreed, agreed. I remember when I, like, was getting out of my weeb phase, I, like, donated a lot of my manga, because I know I, but I kept, because I have the entire series of Ronnie Kenshin and Fruits Basket, and I kept yes. both of those, because they're, like, my two favorite manga series. Yep. So I was like, they I must, they must stay. Ronnie Kenshin, man, it's just, it's so good. It's, like, so top tier storytelling. Oh, okay. Agreed. I might like right, well, for her Take kitchen. note. <laughs> yes. So the show is called My Hero Academia, and it's on Hulu and Crunchyroll, <laughs> and I really love it. All right. So HD. I actually have a few things I would like to say and I really like, but I'm only oh, going to go with one because this? I have to abide what's by my this? rule. I'm only going with one. Are you breaking one. your own rule? I'm going with one. I'm abiding my by my rule. But what you can do is read my pop culture imports column of this week. 
<laughs> because two of the things that I really like this week are in there. Um, it's number one and number three. So the pick I'm going with is my number one choice in my pop culture imports column, which is a bi-weekly column that I write for SlashFilm.com, highlighting foreign feet, uh, films and TV shows uh, that are streaming. So the first one is Bad Genius. And this is a Thai heist thriller that recently was added to Netflix. It debuted, uh, it came out last year, and it became Thailand's like highest grossing film that year and like broke a bunch of records in Asia. And, you know, it might sound like a little overhyped, but it's really good. Like, Edgar Wright is shaking after seeing, the, after this oh. movie. It has like the, it has like the, frenzied rapid cutting style of Edgar Wright's editing style with like the teen ennui of Sophia uh, Sophia Coppola it is good guys I did not expect it to be so tense so Thai, uh, Bad Genius is about a uh, genius level high school student who uh, enrolls in this prestigious academy uh, through a sco- academic scholarship uh, but she can't really afford going to the school at the same time, so she starts helping her friend cheat in in um in tests by giving her all the answers. Ooh. And her friend uh, ropes in her boyfriend, who d- who proposes that they start like basically a cheating crime ring, and it, be- it becomes like this intense crime ring where they have like secret codes and stuff, and um. And it escalates from there. It is it is intense. You would never think that like watching people take a test would be so suspenseful, but it is just a gripping movie, and I highly recommend it. It's almost it's over two hours long. It's two hours and ten minutes long, but you will just like be engrossed for the entire time. Very good movie. Um, it was it killed at a couple like film festivals last year too. So a lot of people love it, and it, it kind of was dropped on Netflix really unceremoniously, but. I recommend you watch it and give it some more attention that it deserves. This is Bad Genius, streaming on Netflix. All right. Um, That is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on Ron Howard, Queer Eye, Bad Genius, multiple animes, but what's the one you're watching right now, Willoughby? My Hero Academia. My Hero Academia, which honestly does sound right up my alley. So Honestly, you have to watch it. Okay. With five million other things I have to watch and read. Of course. Um, if you have any thoughts on any of these, come chat with us. And where can they do that? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud and rate, review, and subscribe and listen to us on iTunes and Google Play. It's a lot of places where you can find us. And where else can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.